And so we begin today this 22-week series of reflections on the Most Holy Rosary. To begin first with a, a simple encouragement or introduction on the praying the rosary itself. And certainly it's a good and holy thing to do that many Catholics have a rosary, at least one's been given to us at First Communion or at Confirmation or somebody picked one up for us somewhere along the way. But you know, not always is it, is it frequently prayed, and even more than sometimes when we're initially praying it, or maybe we've been praying it for a while, and just kind of get out of the rhythm of, of allowing it to be something that's really a fruitful thing for us. And so just to encourage the fruitfulness of praying the rosary for each of you. First and foremost, get your rosary blessed. Uh, sacramentals have a spiritual power. Blessing something isn't just a nice Catholic ritual. It's not just a nice little Catholic thing uh, that makes us feel better about stuff and makes us have some kind of obligation whenever we want to get rid of it to have to burn it or bury it or bring it to the priest or have him do so. But rather, it actually changes the object itself. It consecrates the thing, and it becomes an instrument of conforming our hearts to God and opening us to God's grace. Sacramentals, they, they, they simply, being in our presence, they open us up to the grace of God. And this is why it's good to get anything religious blessed. That's why it's good to have blessed things in your home, a sort of uh, continuous radiation, uh, radiation poisoning of the Holy Spirit, we might say, uh, just uh, the, the richness of, of God uh, pouring out upon us through the sacramentals of the church. So first and foremost, get your rosary blessed. Secondly, when we pray the rosary, pray it joyfully. Pray it prayerfully. And by those things, I mean, pray it slowly. It's the fact that sometimes in the church, we may um, trumpet things as a, a sort of badge of honor to be able to see how fast we can do things. I've heard people say, oh, Father so-and-so, he could do Sunday Mass with a little sermon in 16 minutes. It was incredible. And they say it like it's a wonderful thing, and he should get a really tall trophy for it. And when they say such things, my heart breaks, because what priest would want to be done with Mass in 16 minutes? I'd rather it last 16 hours, truth be told. You good folks probably don't, but, but if there's anything you don't want to rush through, it's the things of God. Rather, it would more, be more like what I would, I would imagine us kind of curling up in front of a nice warm fire with a good book or a good, a good hot cup of hot cocoa or something, and you, you want to just sit there and enjoy it for a while. And this, my prayer, is, is, is what I hope that your praying of the rosary can be like. I know sometimes that family things are happening, and you're praying the rosary in the car, you're praying the rosary here or there, and you know, you're trying to wrangle up kids like herding cats you know, as you're praying the rosary as a family. You know, that I understand not every time is just an absolutely beautiful and peaceful experience, but, but it's the recognition to, to try to pray the rosary with peace in our hearts and not simply try to get it done, not just to pray it fast, but to allow time to actually reflect upon the mysteries, which is the second point here, to reflect upon the mysteries. The purpose of praying the rosary is to reflect upon and to look at the face of our Lord with it, together with our Blessed Mother. If we are not looking at the face of the Lord by contemplating the mysteries, we're kind of missing the major piece of the rosary. It's like we're, it's like we're, going, you know, we're going to the, you know, the all-you-can-eat buffet, and we get a little salad to start with, and then we're done. You didn't even get the meat. You didn't get the potatoes. You didn't get the stuff that you came here for at the buffet, right? You just got the little appetizer to start. There's much more that can be gained. 
And so it's for us to reflect upon these mysteries and to know that the mysteries bear fruits. The fruits are helpful for us to know and to, to be mindful of as well, to allow them to, to grow and to increase within us. Particularly, it may be helpful to know the fruits of the mysteries so that if we are wrestling with a particular vice, we can meditate regularly on a particular virtue of the rosary that its fruit might increase in us. Because this is a thing that actually happens. If we compose ourselves, if we, if we open our hearts to the Lord, grace does actually change us. And I think all of us, I pray, can attest to that. And so, it's for us to pray the rosary, to pray it prayerfully, to pray it well, contemplating these mysteries, and allowing these fruits to increase within our hearts. And so, it leads us to our first mystery. And the joyful mysteries we begin with... Fittingly for today, as St. Paul encourages us, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. The Lord is near. It's a fitting mystery for us to contemplate the Annunciation, as indeed the Lord does come imminently near. He takes on flesh. This mystery, of course, is that of the Archangel Gabriel coming to the Blessed Mother with the good news of salvation, the good news that the Son of God is to be born from her, that she is to bear him whom the ages have waited for. And it all happens in a little town in the middle of nowhere, essentially. One thinks that according to the things of God, if, if we were God, some, many would, would put things you know, in, in major cities. If we were going to have the Son of God be born, you want him in Rome, in the center of the empire. You want him in Jerusalem, the center of the worship of the Jewish people. You want him somewhere where he's going to get a lot of foot traffic and he's going to get a lot of attention right off the bat. Instead, he's born in Nazareth. And to quote the apostles, whenever they heard that Jesus of Nazareth has come, he is the Christ, the one we've been waiting for. The response was, can anything good come from Nazareth? (laughs) Nazareth is the place where the Messiah is coming from? It seems silly in the mind of those of the day. Absurd. It should be something better. And yet, Nazareth. And it's just to a young girl, a teen, who there has opened her heart to the Lord God. And on account of this, in that little town, the Word is made flesh. God strips himself of his glory and condescends to be one of us, to take on our flesh. It's a beautiful thing in that place, in Nazareth, there's, there's an altar. So in, in the in actual place, of, of course, as good Catholics, anytime you find a holy site, what do you do? You build a church on top of it to preserve it, right? Uh, and so there's a nice big church that's, that's there preserving the, the place of the incarnation, the place of this mystery of the Annunciation. And it, essentially what they did is they kind of took, because the, the place where it, took, where it actually, uh, where the angel appeared to the Blessed Mother is essentially like the basement, uh, the basement of the home. And so they went and, and dug out and essentially took off all of the basements so you get to see into the room. And they put an altar there. And on the altar are, is a little phrase that can only be said truly in one place in the entirety of the universe. And the Word was made flesh here. The Word was made flesh here. It's a beautiful thing to see those words and to understand exactly what that means. In the basement of an ordinary home, in the little village of Nazareth, God took on flesh. That home is a holy place, rightly so. 
Yesterday, we celebrated the feast of Our Lady of Loretto. If you want to read a fascinating story, I invite you to, to go uh, make a, a search of that title and to see what comes up for you as far as the story. But the simple reality is that the house in which our Blessed Mother resided, the house in which the Annunciation took place, still exists. It's not just the foundation, it's not just the basement that's there, although the church is built up and there's no house sitting on top of it. The house still exists, and it is in all the places in Italy, in a town called Loretto. And it got there by a most mysterious manner, and so I'd invite you to, to go look into that a bit for further reading. But that little house in Loretto, in Italy, has stones which are from Nazareth. It has dirt and particles from plants which are from Nazareth. And the foundation that is missing from that house is conspicuously the exact same size of the building that once surrounded that little room, that little basement, where presently is that sign, and the Word was made flesh here. It's the exact same home, lifted by God and brought to another place for safety. And yet, in that little spot in the earth still exists this great mystery. God having come down to us to take on our flesh to save us. And this, of course, means that we must be saved. And we know this comes from our first parents, Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve, to, to do a, a small bit of backtracking, right? Adam and Eve, Adam, the man created by God. Eve, the woman taken forth from his side. And these two together, receiving the goodness of God and yet being told, do not eat of this tree. And in their pride, and they led them to disobedience and they ate and the fall took place. And we've all suffered the consequences of it. St. Irenaeus, early church father, spoke about this, this act of Adam and Eve as a tying an immense knot in the humanity. It's a tying of a knot, and it can only be undone by untying the knot in the same manner in which it was tied. Any one of us who's ever dealt with a knot in a child's shoe knows that you can't just keep crossing, the, keep crossing the ties together and hope that somehow it'll miraculously work itself out. You have to find the end and find where and pull it through the first loop and pull it through the next and on and on until everything is done. And the Lord God has destined that the details of the same take place. We see it spoken in those simple words given to Our Lady. Ave gratia plena, Dominus tecum. Five simple words, and yet everything is revealed here in this great mystery. Ave A-V-E, a greeting of this young girl. Also, it's the inverse of Eva, the Latin form of Eve, untying things already simply with the first word addressed to this one. And this woman, the new Eve, she is further addressed not simply by her name, Maria, which certainly we, we added in as a devotional action over the course of years, but she has given her name already there, Ave Gratia Plena, Her name is Grazia Plena, full of grace. The scriptures tell us that that the Lord God has for each one of us a name known only unto himself, not to us, a name by which he knows us in the depths of our heart, and is written there in heaven. And it is suggested that Our Lady's name, written on that stone, is in fact not Mary, but Grazia Plena, full of grace. Because this is who she is to God. She is fullness of grace. 
She is the one who comes to fill us with grace as well, from the grace of her Son offered on the cross, where our first mother, Eve, emptied that grace, separated us from the grace of God on account of her own sin. So she is indeed full of grace, and she pours it out generously to the souls of us, her children. This story is one of redemption. Hers is a saving mission, together with that of her son. And in just the same manner that first Adam came forth and then Eve from his side, so also to untie the knot, Our Lady is given, and then from her womb, the Son. And understanding this mission, she is told, Dominus tecum, the Lord is with you. And this phrase, although we, we use it frequently in the prayer of the Hail Mary, we use it frequently in, the, in the, the prayers of the church, specifically in Holy Mass, it is a phrase sparingly used in the sacred scriptures. And when it is used, it is for one who has been entrusted with a mission from God, and is a mission typically that is a bit heavy to handle. And so they are told, fear not, the Lord is with you. This is the Lord's battle. This is the Lord's fight. Stay with him. Trust in him. Throughout the Old Testament, Dominus Tecum was used for particular moments in the, the unveiling of the plan of God, and so much the same here. And so we see all of these things. She is told of her mission. She is to be a mother. She is to be the mother of the Messiah, the mother of the Messiah who is himself the second person of the Blessed Trinity, God himself in flesh, and all of this miraculously while she is still a virgin. These are unbelievable things. It's for this reason that St. Bernard, writing in the 13th century, he spoke of, of, of this mystery of this moment when angel, the angel had unveiled the, the plan of God and was waiting for the response of Our Lady. And beautifully, St. Bernard, he says, he says, he says all, of, all of creation ceased at that moment to focus upon anything else and was waiting for the response, waiting for the word. He said, even for a moment, the angels ceased to sing the glory of God so as to listen for the response. What would she say? Fiat miki seconum verbum tuum. Let it be done to me according to your word. And then there was rejoicing. A rejoicing like we are called to have today at the closeness of the Lord because not only is the Lord God in heaven, but now he has become flesh. All of creation must rejoice at this wondrous thing that has taken place. With the yes of Our Lady, redemption is unfailing right before our very eyes. With her yes, the knot is untied. With the yes of Mary, we begin to find the end and, and loop it back through so as to undo all the things that Eve herself had done. The knot tied by pride is undone by humility. And this has a universal effect instantly. It's not just for the Blessed Mother. It's not just for a handful of people. It's not just for the people of Israel. It's a universal thing that every human person experiences this grace of redemption, of having been ransomed by the good Lord in this time, of, of having the first proclamation of the good news available to us as the Lord God takes flesh. And that church there today speaks this in a quiet manner. Because all around the Church of the Annunciation in Nazareth, there's a little courtyard outside the church with walls. And covering those walls, as well as many places inside the church, are images of the Blessed Mother from countless nations all around the world. 
a hundred nations and more probably, have donated specific images of the Blessed Mother, often experiencing their own enculturation. Our Lady of Knock being sent to, uh, to, to, uh, to, record, you know, to represent Ireland. You know, various images from Our Lady from the East, from the West, from the North and from the South and all throughout the world. Images sent to this holy house to be able to speak of how Blessed Mother is our mother. Eve, who is the mother of all the living, has been replaced by our Blessed Mother, who is truly the mother of all the living, because she has given us not birth in the flesh, but birth in the spirit. She is our mother, and the nations now will flock from east and west, north and south, just as was prophesied, to come to the one who is our mother, and to come to her son. This is a great mystery that has taken place and is the beginning of an immense joy that ought to well up within our hearts. And all of this ought to bear within us also the fruit of humility. This is the fruit of the mystery, humility. Our Blessed Mother indeed was humble, the most humble. St. Bernardine of Siena, when asked about the commenting on, on the humility of our Blessed Mother, particularly with regards to the Annunciation, he said, had the angel said to her, O Mary, you are the greatest sinner in the world, her astonishment would not have been so great as hearing the words, Blessed are you among women. Hail, full of grace. That was more shocking to her than to have been told she was the greatest sinner in the world. In her humility, she knew she was indeed a creature of God, and to have such titles bestowed upon her was shocking. This itself would be a fearsome thing to hear, to have those titles bestowed. And yet, they are given, and she humbly accepts them, mother of all the living. It's this humility that we ought to imitate and emulate within our own lives, to go daily throughout our own daily work, whatever it is that the Lord gives to us to occupy us, and to seek humbly and patiently to serve him and to love him and to accept his will as it is revealed to us. As we offer the mystery of the Annunciation, it is to pray that humility will increase. And as we go through the course of our days, to remember that whatever mission the Lord God has entrusted to us, the same thing is true, that the Lord is with us, and he seeks to continue to untie the knots of sin in our lives for the glory of God and the salvation of our souls.